verse 13. A very familiar passage, I think, to anyone who has been reading the Bible for a little bit of time. And so I, I don't know that I will say anything to you today that will be new, that you will think, oh yeah, I never heard of that way before. But maybe a few uh, reminders that we already knew but just needed uh, a bit of refreshing. As uh, Cliff read to us this morning from Psalm 34, that verse 8 invites us to experience the goodness of God by tasting it, by seeing it. In our passage today, as we read in Matthew 5, Jesus uses these same two senses, both of taste and sight, to teach His followers about discipleship. And as we saw in the introduction of His sermon last week, Jesus declares the people of the kingdom to be blessed people. But now He's going to take these these two metaphors of salt and light and describe these blessed people in another way that will help us to see yet another aspect of what it means to follow Christ. Remember the whole story uh, or the whole picture of what is happening is the following of Christ. It is directed to His disciples, to those who follow Him, and therefore it applies to us in the same way. And He gives these uh, two uh, very familiar and yet at the same time uh, maybe misunderstood, maybe even confused, uh, analogies or metaphors uh, concerning what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Let's look at it. In verse number 13, it says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. First we see here a declaration of what it of what we are. Notice that it does not say that we are to be like salt. In fact, There is not even one command in this first part of the passage. There's no imperative. It's simply a declaration. You are salt. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a true believer, you are salt. Salt has many distinct qualities. Many preachers and teachers and authors have tried to draw connections between these different qualities and attributes of salt and the Christian life and trying to help us to understand what it's supposed to be like and Though I think many of them are very applicable and very appropriate, we can't necessarily we can't be specifically sure what Jesus actually meant by that because he doesn't list any of the qualities of salt in this one little passage. Really, it's just one verse, and he goes on and he actually spends more time talking about the light than he does with the salt. But what we want to what we we want to at least grab what Jesus is is uh, his main idea here, his main teaching here. And I think here that Jesus is teaching that Christians are intended to penetrate or to influence and therefore benefit the world around them, just as salt does that. What what is salt used for? Well, it's used for a lot of different things, but the main purpose that salt has or the main function of salt is to change whatever it comes into contact with. Salt affects things. It brings change to its environment. Things are different when you introduce them salt. This is how Christians are to live. God wants the world to be affected by His people because we are salt. He does not intend for us to hide out, wait out, and just simply survive until He comes back. I think too often we as Christians 
believe that as long as we have our holy huddle, as long as we keep our own noses clean and we, we hurry up and leave our homes and we get bit to church and we lock the doors and we shut them off and we keep the world out, we are pleasing God. And that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is teaching here. He's saying you're salt. You're supposed to affect the world around you. You're supposed to influence it and benefit it. Jesus does not also want us to continue living as we are. There's a difference now that we follow Christ. He says, you are salt. God desires for us to bring a difference to our world. Because we are salt, that means then that we have the power to bring change. We'll come, uh, what, what's interesting about this, this, uh, this, this little passage here is that the next thing Jesus does is He gives a kind of a hypothetical here. He says, if the salt has lost his savor. Now, actually, this phrase, uh, this phrase of have lost his savor is, uh, is actually one Greek word that means to become insipid. It means to lose its taste. It means uh, also, in very interestingly, it means to become foolish. And if we keep that in mind, it will actually help us to draw a connection when we talk about the light as being the light of the world, as we'll see in just a moment here. But uh, what he, he's asking here is, uh, what if the salt ceases to be salty? What can be done to restore that saltiness? And there's been a lot of discussion concerning what Jesus meant by this, by this thought or by this suggestion. Is it even possible for salt to be no longer salt or for salt to stop being salty? And there's a lot of books have been written on that very topic and, and a lot of time and, en- and effort and ink has been uh, prepared for just that uh, for that question and for that thought process. Uh, but ultimately here, the issue is not that the salt ceases to become salt. It is that the salt loses its saltiness or it loses its taste, its savor. Salt loses its savor or taste not because it stops being salt, but because it has too many impurities mixed in with it. See, during this time, the way that salt was collected, uh, it, it would uh, just naturally accumulate other minerals, other impurities with the salt. Uh, and, and he lived near the Dead Sea, and that would have been a big source for collecting salt for them during that time. And it was uh, natural to have other things such as sand or gypsum to be mixed in with the salt. And because there was so many impurities over time, that salt would eventually lose its savor. It would go bad. And that's why Jesus is explaining here that when the salt loses its savor, you can't use it for anything. Uh, have you have you ever uh, well have you ever eaten something that didn't have enough salt? You can taste it right away. And have you ever accidentally thought you were putting salt on something and you put something else on there? Maybe you uh, you put a little sugar on your steak or you put uh, you, you thought it was salt, but it doesn't it doesn't taste like that. And if and if Jesus is saying here, if this salt loses that taste, if it loses that savoriness, that which makes it. Uh, brings the flavor out, brings it, uh, or or uh, preserves it, or whatever it may be. He says, when it when it gets to that point, it's good for nothing. It cannot be restored. It's good for nothing, and it says, then it is cast out into the street. We could spend hours considering and discussing and debating questions like, well, can salt lose its saltiness, or uh, if this is meaning Christians, can a Christian lose whatever that saltiness is, or. What did Jesus mean that the salt is being cast out? And all of those are good questions and they have a place. But if we focus on the greater issue, the question then becomes, what kind of Christianity has no saltiness? 
do I want that type of Christianity? I mean, what good is a type of Christianity, a type of, of what, what the world would call religion, that has no salt? It has no saltiness. It's bland. It's flavorless. Do I want that? Would anybody else want that type of Christianity? Jesus said that that, type, that salt that is without taste is thrown out into the street and it is the reason is because not that it ceased to be salt, but the salt ceased to be what it's supposed to be. I can't help but wonder here if that maybe describes why many people want nothing to do with Christianity. Maybe why they want nothing to do with religion at all because they have seen too many who claim to be Christians. They claim to be followers of Christ. Yet there is no saltiness. There is no savor in their behavior. And the people that, that see that and witness that say, I see nothing good in that. There's, it's good for nothing. I mean, it's a waste of your time. It's a waste of my time. It's, it's offensive. It's, 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 it's bland. It's boring. And, and we shun that away, much like those who would have thrown it out into the street. And I can't help but wonder if that's, if, if this is not why, because Christians have ceased to be salted. Christ has made us the salt of the earth. And by doing so, He made it possible for that salt, for us, to have whatever qualities we need to be savored. To be both useful to the kingdom of God, uh, first and foremost, God makes us who who He's made us to be for His glory and for His benefit. And so He gives us the salt Whatever qualities, whatever preservatives uh, we need, attributes that we need to be that type of salt, that good salt, to benefit His kingdom, but also benefit the world. And that's where, and that's where He's going there as He talks about discipleship. The question is, why would we want to have it any other way? Would that be an option even? Or do I say, you know what, no, I, I want that salt. I don't have to go and figure out how to be salty. God makes us that way. It's when we allow other things in that kind of hinder that effectiveness. If I take a, a bucket of salt and I pour in a bucket of sand with it, there's still salt there. But it's not going to taste very good on your eggs. It's not going to taste very good at all, and it's not going to do as good a job as it should do because, not, not because it's not salt, but because it's not pure. It's not, uh, it's, it's, it's been, it's been introduced to a, a pollutant. Then he gives some more, uh, another metaphor here, and he gives it with light. Second metaphor says here, you are the light of the world, verse 14. And then he slips in this other picture. He's painting these word pictures for us. And the next sentence there doesn't really have anything specifically to do with light. Now, I know you can see why light would have something to do with it as we develop the, the illustration there. But he slips one illustration inside another to really drive home what he's trying to, 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 to get across to the listener. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel or a basket, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. Here's the first imperative in the whole passage. Actually, in the whole chapter, this is only the second command. The first one we read was to rejoice. Right after we found out we were persecuted, he says rejoice, be exceeding glad. And now he says, let your light shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, we've already seen that light is used to describe the Messiah's mission. 
back in Matthew 4.16, it was a prophecy that was fulfilled that Messiah would bring light to those who sit in the darkness. There's some verses in your notes there that we won't, uh, uh, we won't take time to look at all of them, but I would encourage you to, to look at each one of them later on. But John here told us in, in John 1.9 that Jesus is the true light. And that light once invaded our darkness and shined the light of the Gospel on our hearts. And now Jesus calls us into the light and has made us to be His lights in a darkened world. So our mission is very, very close to what the Messiah's mission was. His, his goal or His mission was to go in, invade a darkened world, and to shine light. He did that on our hearts. He did that to us. We all sat in darkness, and the Messiah Christ came, and He shined a light in our hearts. And then, not only did He leave it like that, He made he gave us that same light, and He tells us to go into the darkness and do the same, and to continue. Because none of us were directly led to Christ by Jesus Himself. We've never met Jesus. But through His disciples, through the years, down through the years, that light has reached us. And it's not intended to stop with us. We then go into the rest of the world and we share that light. We carry the light to the extents of the world. But notice here that the savor of the salt and the brightness of the light doesn't come from me. Because in and of myself, I'm no different than anyone else sitting in darkness. Uh, what, what is it about me or what is it about you that we would think, well, yeah, th- there's a reason Jesus picked me. Because look, because I'm so much better than... But really, there's nothing better about me than anyone else who's who, what we would call an unbeliever, an unsaved person. We, we're nothing different than they are, but the light has reached us. And that's the, that's the light that we carry. It's not that I'm bringing my winning personality to the world and winning them over to me. I'm not bringing the saltiness of my own character and my self-discipline, and I'm bringing that to the world, and I'm trying to win the world over through my own talents and abilities. No, I'm bringing the light of Christ that once shined in my heart to a world that sits in darkness. Now, Jesus gives us the teaching behind His analogy, and simply put it as this, lights belong on lampstands, not under baskets. Think about it for a moment. We light candles, right? You have candles in your home, and and unless you're you're using you know one of those warmer candles where it just melts the wax, you light a candle, right? And what do you do if you're looking for light? You light the candle and you put it in a place where you're going to be able to see. You don't light the candle and then put something on top of it. You don't light the lamp and then cover it up. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's very foolish to do so. It's very foolish to to, to light. If you don't want light, don't light the candle. Don't light the lamp. But if you want light, then let it shine. That's what he's saying. It's so simple, and yet we miss it as 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 as, as his followers. It's foolish to think that first of all that a city that is set on top of a hill could be hidden. And in this day and time, it is very natural that the re, that the listeners would have thought of the city of Jerusalem, which is located on top of a hill, and it's and it's seen by all around. You don't hide a city built on a hill. If you want to build a, a fortress of solitude, you usually don't do it at the top of the mountain, unless it's uh, you know camouflaged well or somehow. I don't. But you you can't do it. And Jesus is saying here, first of all, you can't light a uh, you can't hide a city on a hill. And then he says, then if you light a candle. Nobody puts a basket on top of it. Nobody covers it up. 
you what do you do? You put it on a stand. Now, in this day and time, again, this is the the, the, the culture would have been that their houses were mostly just one room houses. And so they would have taken some sort of a stand, either a, a ledge that came out from a beam or, or maybe they had some kind of wrought iron uh, a lamp stand that they could do it. And they, they would set their little lamp on it and then they would put the lamp on the stand. And that way it says it gives light to all in the house. It shines its light. That only makes sense, right? Why, why, where else would you put it? You don't put it in the corner and shut the door. I got a candle going in there, but I don't want to see that light. Uh, that's, that doesn't make any sense. It's foolish to do so. And it, and it kind of reminds me, at least, of, of, the, the, of this salt losing its savor, salt becoming foolish. Why would you do that? Why would, first of all, why would salt lose its savor? And second of all, why would you light a candle and hide it away? It doesn't make any sense. And this is the teaching that Jesus is trying to, to, to get across to the, the listener. First, as I said, the city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It's foolish to think so. Likewise, a lamp that is lit is not hidden under a basket. It's foolish and pointless. And notice, when we want the light to reach its maximum potential, we put it up on the lampstand. And the lamp on the stand shines to everyone and everywhere in that house. And notice, all that that lamp has to do in order to be helpful and to be useful is to simply do what it was meant to do. What do we expect out of that lamp? Just light. It's all we're asking of it. And when we set that lamp up on the lampstand, all we're expecting out of it is light. And that's exactly what it was meant to do up there. That's exactly what it was created to do. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And He says that, that you're going to be on the lampstand. And you're going to be in view. And all you've got to do is be what you were created to be by doing what you were created and meant to do. This same way Christians are to let their lights shine. This, as I said, this is the first command that we read in the section. Jesus says to let your light so shine so that others, those on whom you shine the light, will see it and give glory. Give glory specifically to God. So then we ask, what is the light? What is this light that I'm supposed to be shining? Uh, what are these people seeing with the light? If I'm supposed to let the light shine, all right, let's walk out of here and let our light shine. How do I do that? Well, Jesus explains it. He says that they may see what? Good works. They see your good works. That is how the light is illuminating the world by good works. Now, this is not a, a self-righteous, legalistic, or even an ostentatious display of public works so that you look at me and think, wow, what a God. And you're not supposed to go and do the good works that you do so that we look at you and think, Man, I want to be like him when I grow up. That's not the point of it. He says here that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. We don't do the good works to earn the merit of God. We're not trying to earn our salvation. We're not trying to earn the praise of men. The good works that I do and the good works that you do should be done for the very purpose for which we were created, to glorify God. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when it was just Adam and Eve. There was no sin. There was no death. There was no suffering. There was, and there was one purpose. To glorify God. And that same purpose has still continued to this day. 
go all the way to the end when, we, when we're in heaven and we're with the Father and we're, there is no more sin once again. There is no more death once again. There's no more suffering. There is no more uh, any of this world. The, the negative things of this world are gone and we are in heaven. And what is our sole purpose there? To glorify God. And the beginning and the end is exactly the same and everything in the middle is the same. Now, it's a little bit more difficult to do that because we live in a body of flesh. We live in a body of sin and we have a, a sin nature that, 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 that fights against that and we don't do that to the fullest extent. But as the Spirit leads us and guides us and grows us and shows us how to live how we're supposed to, that ought to be the main, the main focus of our life. Every day, everything you do ought to be for that purpose to bring honor and glory to God. But next, it says, not only do I want my works to honor and glorify God, I want them to be seen by others so that they will glorify God. That they will not say, wow, look at Art. Look at how he does that thing he does so well. And he's so disciplined. And he's so uh, uh, consistent. He's faithful. No, the purpose to do it is to look at Art and say, look what God did with Art. Can you believe that? I mean, we're talking about Art. And if you know anything about art, then you know that God did this. And, and, and it's bringing God glory to uh, 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 through my good works. And I'm not looking for a pat on the back. I'm not looking for the applause. I'm looking for those, those, uh, uh, those accolades from men. I'm looking for, for you to see my good works and then say, God, man, look what you did with that guy. Now, it's easy for us to look at a guy who used to be a drunk, or used to beat his wife and used to, uh, 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 you know, be in and out of prison all the time. And then Jesus gets a hold of him and he changes his life. And now he's in church and now he's singing the songs of, 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 uh, of, of the, the hymns and the, and the songs of faith and hope and joy. And he's got love in his heart. He's got a smile on his face and he's, he's restored his relationships with his wife and his kids. And he's, and he's just, he's, he's a brand new man. And we say, look what God did with this guy. But it's not just for that kind of guy. It's for, you too. It's for us. It's for the people that don't have that horrible opposite ending. We don't have that horrible backstory. We grew up in church. We we kind of memorized all the verses before we were even out of high school yet. And we figured out all the basic truths uh, before we even left for college. We've got all this stuff down. But yet, that's my goal still. I want you still to look at me and say, look at what God is doing in His life. It's that growth. It's that, it's the, how can you do what you're doing? How can you live this way? How can you respond to tragedy this way? Or how can you put up with this like you do? Um, I deal with the same stuff you do, but I just, I just can't handle it. It's just too much. It's just, it just ruins my day. But you, for whatever reason, what is it about you? And it gives me an opportunity to say, well, I'm just a better person than you. No, you don't say that. You don't say, well, you know, I just, you know, I, I, uh, I meditate every day and, and I, 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 you know, I, 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 I have all these self-help things that I do that really help me respond. No, you say, God does this. The Holy Spirit does something in my life and let me tell you how I get through the day differently than other people do. And it's not because I'm a better person. Make sure I, you understand that right away. There's nothing different about me than you. There's nothing better about me than you. The only thing that happened to me that's good, that's different, is that I met Christ. I met someone who did all of this for me and through me. Let me tell you about it. And it's an opportunity to bring God the glory for what He's done. That is the goal of my good works. 
This is the motivation that governs our behavior and our attitude for doing. Again, we're not trying to get men to praise us. We're getting men to praise God. The goal is for others to be influenced by my behavior and turn to God just as I have. It is so that others will see the light of Christ in my actions and lead them to glorify God. And this is the message for today. This is the message for every day. This is the message for Monday morning when you wake up. This is the message all week long. This is the message that we don't walk out of here and say, all right, well, we got that passage done. Let's move on to the next passage. Really, this passage is going to start the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is going to continue talking about specific good works. He's going to talk about the famous, you have said before this way, but I say unto you this way. And he's going to take religion and move it from the outward into the inward. And he's going to raise the bar, if you will. But all of that is because you are light. And you're going to let your good works shine before men. And then he's going to give us, here's how you're going to let, here's some good works that you're going to let shine before men. You're not going to just not commit adultery. You're not even going to look on a woman and lust in your heart. You're not just going to not murder your brother. You're not even going to hate him. And you're not even going to just uh, go one mile. You're going to go two. And, and when someone spites you on the cheek, you're going to turn the other cheek. And these are all the good deeds so that people say, how can you do that? What in the world? I mean, that's not natural. And you say, I know. Believe me, I know. I wouldn't be doing this had not Christ changed who I am. And that's the message for today. Our classrooms at school ought to be different because we are light, because we are there. Your workplace, the little workstation you have, maybe you have an office or maybe you just have a, a little cubby or maybe you just stand at a table at an assembly line or Maybe you, you, you sit on a little stool and you reach under cows. I don't know what you do all day. But that place ought to be different because you're there. Because you are light. Because you are salt. Our homes should all be influenced by our presence as the light of the world. Your workplace, the place, the job, the, 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 the grocery store when you visit it, the Walmart, wherever you go, it ought to be different when you're there. As different as when I bring a light into a darkened room, it immediately changes. And when I walk out and I go somewhere else, that place immediately changes. It's walking around. You know when the power goes out and we, we light a candle, but usually you keep that candle with you. We never remember where our candles are until the power goes out. And they're like, where's that flashlight again? Where's that candle? We have to figure it out. And then what do we do? We keep it with us the whole time. Because we want that room to be lit as we go somewhere. And we're following that light wherever it may go. And that's what Jesus intends for us to be right now. He intends for us to be a difference in the world around us. Our town should be affected because of the light that lives in. The school should be different because of the, the light that attends it. This church should be a lighthouse because of the people who attend it. That means there must be something different about us. Now, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to be weird. Okay, There's a verse in 1 Peter and it says that we are a peculiar people. It does not mean what you think it means. It does not mean act strange. It does not mean be odd. And everyone go, He's peculiar. No, no, no. It doesn't mean that at all. It means something totally different than that. 
But what Jesus is trying to teach us here is that we are different, not as in everyone else is normal and I'm a, I'm a weirdo. It's as different as light is from darkness. Does everyone look at light and go, that is weird. No, what do we do? What do we do when we go camping? What's like the main thing you got to have when you go camping? You got to have a campfire. And what do we do once we've lit that campfire? Get our little chair, and we sit, and we look at it. Just look at it. You get a stick, play with it. Right? And then you fling it around if you're a kid. You get a marshmallow, and you hold it over that. Or you get a hot dog, whatever. And we, we build the whole, the whole center of camping is that fire. The tent is near the fire. The food is near the fire. Everything happens by the fire. That's the way that, that's the way that life ought to be. We are the light. We bring that light, that illumination in a different way and say, not that we're weird, but that we are so different from the darkness that we, it's obvious that we're different. We are simply different because we are light in the darkness. Both salt and light are influencers. They change the world around us. And we're supposed to be like that. Both salt and light never stop being salt or light. Light never stops being light. You either turn it on or turn it off, but it's always light. But it can be covered up. Salt never stops being salt. It can maybe lose its savoriness. It can lose its taste. But it's still salt. It's just polluted. And I wonder if that describes how many people who call themselves Christians have kind of found themselves to be. We're salt, but we've had so many other outside influences kind of hone that effectiveness down. We're light of the world, but we have kind of put a basket on that. Just something to really hone that down a little bit. That ought not be the way we live. Still salt, it's just not being what it's supposed to be. Still light, it's just not doing what it was meant to do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this about discipleship. He said, discipleship is as visible as light in the night, as a mountain in the flatlands. To flee into invisibility is to deny the call. Any community of Jesus which wants to be invisible is no longer a community that follows Him. This is this has stuck with me all week. Because I'm not what you call uh, an extrovert. Some of you are. I am now when you say introvert, we normally if you if you're not really familiar with the terms, then you think, oh he's shy. I'm not shy, I'm just just don't like putting myself out there. Alright? I'm not the guy that tries to strike up a conversation with the cashier as I'm checking out. I want my stuff. I prefer self-checkout. Is there anybody like that? You prefer self-checkout? Simply because I don't want to talk to anybody. Okay? If you're the other person, my wife says, I don't want to do self-checkout. She wants to be there. She wants to, she wants to haggle, really, is what she wants to do. I, excuse me, I have a dollar off coupon, 30 cents savings here, and she'll haggle with it. And I just, you know, keep the, keep the $100. I don't want to deal with this. Let's just go home. But this is this has been with me all week because here's here's the thing. I'm gonna be transparent with you. In my life, if I'm not intentional about it, I will walk around as long as I'm not here, and as long as I'm not somewhere where they know who I am, I can put a bowl on top of that canvas. 
I'll walk around and be just like everybody else because it's, it's easier. It's more convenient that way. As long as you don't know who I am. It happened to me this week. We went, uh, we got some, uh, we got passes at the peak this week. We're going to the, we're, we go to the pool now. And uh, I was there, uh, we went, it was one of the first times that we went there. And I went there and I showed the guy my, my ID card and my family and, and, uh, he, he made some comments, you know, they're all mostly all teenagers there. And he made some comment that I kind of took as like snarky. And my first thought was like, I can be snarky if you want to be snarky. I can, I can play that game with you, kid. And he's like, I don't know who you guys are. And you know, I got to give you wristband and blah, blah, blah. Okay. And I said, you know what? It was, it was a, it was one of my rare victory moments. And I was like, you know what? Shut up, Tim. Just, you know, let it go. I gave him my wristband or he gives me my wristband. I go do my thing. Well, later on, one of the lifeguards, uh, started talking with me and he said something about, oh, you live around here. And I said, well, I live in Sherman. And, and then that got on. I said, I said, well, I go to church with, with Trish and who's the boss. You better be nice to me. And, and I, I you know, I, but I said, and, and I, I kind of left it at that. I and mean, I was like, well, now this guy knows that I go to church, but I didn't tell him I was the pastor or anything. You know, didn't want to overload him with uh, spiritual information there. I just said, oh, I go to the same church as Trish. And then, then as we were leaving, the first guy that was kind of being, you know, kind of snarky with me, and the, and the other guy that asked me where I live, they're standing at the at the desk as I'm walking out, and the guy goes, "Oh, so you're the pastor there?" It's like, I am, I am, you know. And I was and then quickly I went through the the whole. Did I do anything? Did I say anything? And the first thing that came to my mind was, I am so glad that I was not a jerk to that guy because now he knows and he goes, "Oh, what church are you the pastor of?" And I said, "Well, the one in Sherman." He goes, "Which one?" I said, the Baptist church in Sherman. He goes, oh, so you took over for Pastor Sears. I did. He goes, and, I, and he started listing several of you. So I'm very good friends with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And he told me his name. I was like, oh, I recognize that name. I did not know, you know, I didn't know you. And, and, and the whole time he's talking to me, I'm thinking, I am so glad I was not a jerk to that guy. Because now he knows that I'm supposed to be nice. And now he knows that I'm supposed to be kind. But see, that attitude is the completely wrong attitude to have as a Christian. We walk around as Christians saying, as long as you don't know, I can be a jerk. As long as you don't know that I'm a Christian, I can say whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. We see it a lot of times on the road, right? So that jerk won't speed up and go around him and we're, we're tail, we're getting right on his on his tail, and, and we're, and finally we, we, we get over to the lane, we get a chance, and we zoom up, and we look over, and it's someone we know. What's even worse, and I hear this every time I'm coming down the road to Sherman. It's usually coming, uh, coming, uh, from Jamestown this way. There's always someone slow, and it's like, it's not that, you don't need to go 45 on the expressway when there's no snow on the road, but there's always someone like that. And, and, and as I get close, I'm always reminded, you better not be tailing anybody. Because it always happens as soon as I tail that person, they turn off in Sherman. And there's only like six people that live, you know, it feels like everybody knows that's his car, that's who that is. And I, and I tell you what, it, it scares me. And I, it makes me a better driver to live in a small town. Because I know that my poor driving is somehow going to be attributed with not being a good Christian. And people are going to say, isn't that, it happened to me once. I was going, I was coming down, I was coming down whatever this main street is, getting off the freeway, and I was coming down right past Martha's house. And some guy thought I was going too fast. And I wasn't. I looked at my speedometer. I was not going too fast. But he got out and he started shaking his fist at me, slow down. And I thought, well, this is not fair. 
He turned left just as I turned left on Main Street. It's like, well, this is not good, too. I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not turning right on Church Street and doing it. I'm not doing that. I went straight because he turned right on Church Street. I was like, no, 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 because then you're going to see me pull into my driveway, and then you're going to know who I am. I kept going straight, and I went down a little, and I turned around. I came back when it was safe, and I got in. Well, that's how we act. And you laugh at me and say, oh, yeah, that's good. You do the same thing, okay? We act as if we act one way when we, when we think we're anonymous. When they think we're not Christians, as long as they don't know. I didn't really say anything to be a jerk, or I didn't say anything that was not Christian, but as long as you don't know, and then as soon as they know that I am a Christian, it's like we punch in now. Okay, yeah, I am a Christian, and now i got to act a certain way, and, and now i got to make sure I don't say these things, and i got to make sure I don't do these things, and I do these things, and, and I say these things, and, and all these things. That's not how it's supposed to be. Light isn't light only when you recognize it as light. Light's light all the time. Did I confuse you with that statement? Light is always light whether or not you recognize it or not. It's always going. It's always on. And as Christians, we need to be light wherever and whenever we go. And this, this thought has really just stuck with me all week as I'm going places. I need to be intentional about being light wherever I go. And if that means stepping a little bit outside of that awkwardness and being a little bit uncomfortable and talking to people sometimes when I don't really want to and I'd rather just kind of go through self-checkout and do my thing, and it's, it's so much opposite of what Christ is intended for us to be. We've got to be the light. And not just when we decide to be the light. Because really, we already are the light. We've got to start behaving as if we are the light. We must start going into our workplace knowing whether or not they know I'm a Christian, I'm going to be different. Whether or not when I go to, when I go to Walmart, whether or not the cashier gives a flip that I'm, that I'm, that I'm a Christian. Who cares if you're a Christian? And I'm not saying I gotta walk around and say, hey everybody, I'm a Christian. Just wanna let you know, I'm here now. Things are gonna be different. But the way that I walk in, the way that I conduct myself, the way that I carry myself ought to be different. And so that when, 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 maybe when it comes out, oh yeah, he's a Christian, people say, well yeah, I thought something was different about him. Or maybe they give an opportunity to say, why are you so different? Why is this not the same way as everybody else? Why do you handle this differently than I do? I can say, well, let me explain to you why. And I have an opportunity. And now I have a pattern of good behavior that backs up what I'm about to say to you. Because if you've ever tried to share your faith with someone who has no idea who you are, or maybe they have, they have some idea of who you are and they're not impressed, they say, you know what, I'm turning that off. That and that are the same. You want me to be that? I don't want anything to do with it. But if our testimony, if our words, they match our actions and our behavior, and then we say, let me tell you about the Jesus who changed my life, and they see a changed life that is good, maybe I'm a little bit more interested to hear that now. This is what Christ commands us to do. Let your light so shine. And as we see Jesus beginning His sermon, we saw that His followers are blessed. Now we see that these blessed people are meant to be a blessing. We're supposed to add His Savior and shine His light wherever we go in every corner of the world. Let us be the light of the world.